everybody. This is BTN Editorial Director Elizabeth West, and you're listening to Business Travel News' new podcast, The Biz at BTN. This is our first episode, and I'm excited to have Jamie Ferris, CEO of Corporate Travel Management, talking with us today. Thank you so much for being here, Jamie. Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth, and it's nice to talk to you as well. Thanks. Um, so BTN is launching this podcast with a little bit of a mini series at the beginning, and we're speaking with a select group of people we recognized on BTN's 2020 Most Influential List. And as you know, BTN named you to that list largely in recognition of CTM's acquisition of the highly regarded U.S.-based uh, TMC Travel and Transport. So that was a very, very big news coming in uh, in the tail end of October. And I'll want to talk with you about that today, um, about your strategy coming in um, with a big move in North America, and your views on what's going to happen with TMC consolidation in 2021. Great. Okay. So why don't you take us back to October and the culmination of that travel and transport acquisition? So what put CTM in the position, first of all, to make a $200 million purchase in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I think it was a pretty bold stroke and it truly anchors CTM in the North American market. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. It's even what led, what happened before leading up to that date. So to be in that position, you know, being a listed company and putting a lot of things in, into diversity and mitigating risk, we had a number of things that most companies don't really look at too closely. And, and that all starts with diversity of geography, clients, um, you know, thankfully, you know, whilst Asia went into this first in the pandemic, it was coming out of it early. So we had revenues when others didn't have it. But more importantly, we had we had, we had no debt. So we've always been uh, debt averse and sitting on cash for emergencies. We've, we've had a whole discipline about keeping cash. For example, half of the cash we make, we reinvest back in the business. We'll keep in the business so that we can build for reserves for these sort of rainy days that, that occurred. But, but lastly, and most importantly, it's because of our high service standard globally, we have a very large proportion of essential travel clients. And these are the clients that must operate when borders are closed, you know, utilities, medical, governments, and so forth. So compared to our peers, we had a lot, we had a, a lot larger percentage of revenues versus last year than others. So we got ourselves in this really nice position where we, we weren't making anything like the losses of our peers. We were sitting on a lot of cash and had access to capital markets that that saw what we were doing. So then we looked at it and went, well, here's an opportunity for one of the greatest assets left in the in the world that we thought that were privately owned. Um, it typically would never sell if it wasn't for the pandemic. So it was a great opportunity to bring them together. And, and strategically, we've always known the guys for a long time. We've talked to them for a long time. And for us, it was probably the last piece of the puzzle to get us the right scalability in every market. So if you go around the world, we're the second largest in Australia. We're probably the largest ex-China in Asia. You know, we're, we're certainly second largest now in the UK. And this puts us a really sizey um, position in, in the States. So all of a sudden now, we've got the scale globally that we need. I think we're the fifth biggest in the world now. So now the proposition of having of being a point of difference to the globals is very, very compelling. With right. our own- Service and so forth. So it's sort of it's it's a bit like a monopoly board. It was the last piece in the puzzle for us to get us to the the um, the scale and the size that we always aspired for. Fantastic. Um, so so how does that um, change your proposition for travel buyers? You know, becoming such a large TMC and and getting that uh, local expertise and regional expertise in every market. How does that? 
How does that change the game for you when it comes to the clients you want to go after or the um, whether it's discounts or services that you can offer to the client? Yeah, it's really important. So if, if I look at our model, you know, our business, our whole value proposition is around three things that all customers want. They might want a different mix of those things. It's about high personalized service with technology that actually works in market and then underpinned by good reporting that, that demonstrates return on investment. So, for example, if someone's spending $10 million, let us show you how you can get that to eight or nine uh, and then be accountable for it. So what this really means, I, I think what we're doing really uniquely is that we're building our own customer-facing technology globally but in region. So, for example, you know, the needs of America is very, very different to Europe. So we get those nuances that, say, vanilla technology just doesn't work globally for so I think what this really does, it's about creating the scale to double down on technology. And we think it's really compelling because at the end of the day right now, if you want a global service, you've really got three providers. Typically, and with all respect to those guys, it's a call center. It's technology that's somewhat vanilla that doesn't work in some markets and does in others. And, and, it, it's, you know, and then you don't have a buck stop or an owner in each region. And I think all these things create friction for the customer. And really when it comes down to it, what a customer really wants, they want a frictionless service that gives us everything they want that's suitable for the market. And that's what we bring. And I don't think anyone else can say that or claim they can do that. And now with the technology we have, and I know that was a big thing for travel and transport, you know, that the advantages to, to them was, well, CTM technology, because through the DD process, they actually get to got to look at it, you know, uh, very deeply. And they went, hey, this is actually very good. And you've got the global network. So that was a big advantage. Right. And for us, just to broaden our management team, have more scale to double down that technology in the States. Um, so it really is a good marriage. And, and I, you know, we're a few months in and I must say I'm really proud of the team because we've merged, uh, you know, our, our management teams. Uh, we, we've, we've eliminated all the duplication we needed to very early. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're moving forward and, and I'm really pleased to, to be able to say that. Good. Um, well, it is interesting because uh, travel and transport, I think, honestly, probably just about a year ago had put out a big um, push in terms of PR about their technology stack and how they were, um, you know, streamlining that and making sure that that was one of their uh, big focuses going into um, 2020. So, uh, but they've always had that regional approach with the radius network, and they've always been very aware of the differences uh, region by region. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting combination. And I understand that it's one that really, you'd been courting them for some time. You'd had conversations much prior to 2020, as far as I uh, understand. Absolutely. I mean, for many years. (laughs) All right. So, um, do you have growth targets in at this point for the North America region, despite the ongoing pandemic situation here? And uh, you know, and and was that an expectation when you when you bought the company that there would be a, you know an ongoing sort of depressed market here? Yeah, I think you've got you know it's a marathon, isn't it? You've got to take a long term view, and if we took a short term view, no one would acquire anything. But at the end of the day, it was a great asset. What we thought was the best asset left in the world that was independent. Uh, and then you, when I say I take a long-term view, I look at CTM, for example. In the last 10 years, you know, we've grown from roughly, you know, in, in US dollars around, you know, 250 million US up to 5 billion US in 10 years. That's in a decade leading into that. that that's strong growth. Now, some of that was acquisition, but the, most of it was organic growth. And if you think about the market, it's still highly fragmented globally. And we truly believe what we're offering is unique and it's a huge global market. 
and there's a lot of market share to gain. So we did this with a view that this would accelerate um, organic growth and, and winning customers. And I'm pleased to say in the whole world, America's leading the way. So, uh, you know, if I look from our, our financial year begins July 1, when I take July 1 till today, North America is by far leading the way in new client wins. And I'm really pleased about that. And what we've noticed since the TNT acquisition is that the more compelling case across the Atlantic is, you know, we're, we're a great, we've got a really strong, very successful business in Europe mm-hmm. and have wholly owned across the, the Atlantic has been very, very powerful, uh, as well as I think what, what's very important, particularly in America, is financial stability. So, you know, we're a company very cashed up, no debt, uh, that's probably losing nearly nothing these days compared to the rest of the pack. And that's a very comforting sign for customers. So we've found right. that that's been quite compelling as well. So, yeah, since the acquisition, it's actually accelerated uh, our, our wins, actually, which is exactly what you want to see. That's Can you tell us any of these wins? I'd love to, but we our policy is never to name names. All right. But uh, we've, we've, it's really doing very well. Even each week we're getting new customers and great customers and a mixture of, you know, national customers, uh, regional and global. So okay. we, exactly how we want it to plan, to pan Good. out. So um, in terms of just maybe RFP activity or the, you know, cycle of um, clients looking for new partners, has that been, I mean, it sounds like it's been very active for you. Do you think it's been um, particularly active just for the industry at large? It seems like an interesting time to be going out for a TMC RFP. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be frank, I think there's two schools of thought here. One, it's tire kicking as people want to keep busy at companies. So they, they test the orders for procurement. But a lot of the, you know, we, we have good data internally about why people are looking at us and, and what they're coming to. And the compelling case that we're seeing this, this uptick, particularly since TNT, is designed around our technology, the brand awareness, but also the financial security. Mm-hmm. And those things are playing out very well for us. Uh, and not just in North America, of course, everywhere in the world. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think there will be some activity and I think it's because there's a real change and I think for travel management, you know, if, if, if people thought it was transactional pre-COVID, it's very clear now that we've got a much bigger role to play and we're seeing that in other markets that are fully back to normal and the advantage, Elizabeth, is to have our own technology, we can do things very, very quickly and not have to rely on third parties. So, for example, what we're seeing from customers very early on is they need some hand-holding. They want to know, you know, is what do I have to do to go to the airport? Do I have to go earlier? What's the mask system, et cetera? Am I staying at a quarantine hotel or not? Or another hotel? What is it safe or not? How can I get transfers? Do I have to get taxis, et cetera, et cetera? And we've been able to put all that data into our into our booking process So and our online booking tool, which we own, right, our lightning mm-hmm. booking tool. Right. These things are very, very clear is where it's going as well as people want to know where the travellers are so that if there is a lockdown or a change, they can readily and easily uh, you know, work that out for their own, you know, for their own, uh, you know, uh, looking after their own employees. So in that sense, we moved very early. In fact, we had all that set up by May last year. So it just reinforces some of our old strategies of having our own customer-facing technology, which quite frankly isn't viable unless you have the scale, um, is coming home to roost for us. Also this past fall, you acquired Tramada. And for my audience, to be honest with you, the travel buyer audience, uh, Tramada might not be the most um, well-known company. Uh, it, it's a TMC mid-office and technology company. But um, tell me what that brought. Wh- why did you do that one? And what did yeah, that bring to your to your business? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. What we're always trying to do for our with our customers, how can we bring down our transactional cost base so we've got the lowest cost base mm-hmm. to allow us to double down on customer-facing technology and service? And there's no doubt through the pandemic, we've thrived and won a lot of business because of our personalised service that you could never do with a call centre, right? So what Tramada bring, and I'll, I'll take it to the States, in, in the US, in terms, there's five or six bits of technology you've got to put together to get a seamless solution for a customer. Uh, in this market, uh, there's there's a there's a tool that does everything. So our point of view is always to own things that are, that are, are core to our business. Uh, and we love the technology and we think there's a very very strong proposition for that to be taken to America to give our company a massive advantage of a much lower cost base, a lot more seamless. And it's all of the same thing. The more time we create for our for our travel consultants or our travel agents to focus on customer facing things and not not you know mundane or process based that aren't customer facing, just in turn the better service we're giving, the more agile our service can be and the more attention to detail we can have in our service. And that's that's very important. So Tramada have a really big role to play in that. Um, and again, it's a great piece of technology. So, for, for straight up for Australia, that means our cost base will be lower, and that's that's the drive, right? You've got to be able to deliver a better service at the lowest cost to your customers, and that's top of mind in how we operate. So, um, that that was the reason. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that might roll out in North America. There's just not a lot of competition for that kind of technology, and so bringing another player that truly, you know, I mean, we we all know that Tramada has has been here, but bringing another player robustly into the market would be um, very interesting to see. So yeah, we the, think so. Yeah. Is Tramada still going to be providing then technology for other TMCs or is it yes. in-house only now? Okay. Yeah, uh, I think the, the idea is, I mean, that justifies the whole thing. And also I think I think for those other customers, they should feel confident that, I mean, in, in, in the markets where we're renowned for, for, for investing a lot in technology and we'll continue to invest in that because it's, you know, it's a win-win. What we do, they do, So, and they win as we win. So I, I think that's very important to, to know. Liking this interview with CTM CEO Jamie Ferris? Ferris will be a featured speaker at the Business Travel Show America, being held virtually on May 25th and 26th. The BTN Group sets the standard for excellence in corporate travel industry education, and we have a full roster of virtual, hybrid, and in-person events coming to you in 2021. To learn more about how innovative travel management executives, startup technologists, risk management professionals, digital health passport providers, and leading edge travel buyers are preparing for post-pandemic business travel, register today at businesstravelnews.com backslash events. We're back at The Biz at BTN, and this is Elizabeth West. I'm talking with CTM CEO, Jamie Ferris. Let's talk about mergers and acquisitions in the TMC market right now. MXGBT bought Ovation earlier this year, and prior to that, Travel Perk bought Next Travel. In a little bit smaller deal here in the States, Direct Travel carved out Shorts Travel's corporate portfolio. So there's a lot of activity right now. Do you see corporate travel management still bullish on additional acquisitions? Yeah, it's where it makes sense. We're very disciplined in what we do. So for us, it's got to tick three boxes. It's got to tick scale box. Does it help with scale? Does it help with geography? Mm. Does it help with special niche? It might be a specialist industry that or segment that we really want to be in that we're not in. Mm. And when it ticks those three boxes, we'll, we'll look at anything. Like I said, it's a marathon. Uh, the good thing about corporate travel it, it globally, it, it's just so, it, it, it's so disaggregated. I mean, 
you know, GBT being the biggest or only a couple of percent of the whole global market. It's it's a very unusual industry to be that fragmented. So there's a lot of opportunity um, and where, where it makes sense to do so, we're doing so. So, for example, in Asia, we've had a number of what we call roll-ups where people are financially in a lot of trouble and rather than acquiring the agents, we'll say, okay, we'll, we'll take your staff and clients and we'll pay you a trailing revenue. Um, so it's a win-win for everyone. So there's a lot of different ways to do things, but Again, where it makes sense, we're going to look at all those things. Uh, but primarily, though, too, the, the balance is we've got ourselves in such a great financial position. And like I said, we're so lucky to be getting revenue streams in, in the ANZ or Asian mark region that, that's really underpinning our success. Yep. You don't cut off your nose to spite your face. So it's a balance. And I think um, right now in the, in the immediate term where we're really focused on the integration with travel and transport, it's going well. Uh, we don't want to... We don't want to um, put the business at, at uh, or add more complexity to our business right now. Right, so right. is pretty much no. Well, you mentioned it was kind of the last, the last bit of the monopoly board for you. So I wasn't sure yeah. how aggressively you would be um, pursuing additional opportunities. So let's move on to the revenue model. Cause you did bring that up uh, earlier in, in the talk. And it was actually, it's funny. Um, so Kevin O'Malley, when, um, when I decided I wanted to do this, uh, this uh, kind of more in-depth story on, on revenue models and what went wrong and how can we how can we move forward from you know May 2020 when um, you know cancellations and uh, meetings and event cancellations there was just a lot going on and um, Kevin was the first person I called because he was going to tell it to me straight right and um, so what is your view on what TMCs need to do in terms of uh, commercial models, uh, not relying necessarily on the transaction as much, perhaps not relying necessarily so much on uh, supplier incentives and GDS incentives to make ends meet. What I mean, you're a healthy company, so what advice would you give to the TMC market to get where you are? Yeah, well, firstly, I want to say I'm glad you said Kevin's a straight shooter because we all are. Um, <laughs> And, and I, I think it, it comes down to value. It's always about demonstrating value in the supply chain. So I, I think in any industry, and we're the same, is that there's an absolute responsibility and continual review of how you're adding value. And if you're not adding value, you shouldn't exist. So the reality is, if what, what are we doing and, and where there is value adds, how we how, how a customer is, how can we charge a customer for that? But the customer, we're demonstrating there's a return on investment for that. So I think, and every customer is very different. But when you take a long-term view of how we see things being disaggregated, content's king. So to be able to pull content, you know, GDS is a great, but there's also non-GDS content. There'll be pressures from different areas through this to do that. I think you've got to do that and deliver that. And then and then there's also the diagnostics. I have a strong view that the reporting, particularly in North America, is pretty standard. Nothing's really looked at behavioural analytics like like the things you can do with AI. And that's something we're doing in other parts of the world we want to bring there as well. So what I'm trying to suggest is that if we can bring something unique to a customer to say, we're seeing these behavioural analytics or these behavioural patterns that are that are not optimal to save money, that's value. And there's ways then to either charge for that, but to be able to charge it, you must be able to put hand on heart and say, well, okay, if I'm going to charge you 100 grand, I'm going to save you a million. And, and that's the way we're looking at, at the business and the way we've always continued to. Yeah, we don't want to be relying on, on supplier revenues because, again, it's not sustainable. So it's like anything else, it's customer facing. It's all about return on investment and that's our philosophy. So I've said before, that's sort of like the third pillar of our value prop. Really good service, 
with technology that, that, that adds value underpinning all wrapped up by return on investment diagnostics. So something you'll see from this company in the next one and two years, you're going to see a really, a lot of investment and enhancement continue on our on our tech stack globally, but also our reporting and what we can do. Because again, we're seeing things that we think are very, very relevant to custom spend that hasn't really been looked at before. So watch this space. So when you mention AI and machine learning, it jogs me that Travel and Transport was responsible for the data visualization and machine learning company DVI. And that was just sold to Embursts. So clearly CTM has its own strategy and tools for data. We have a global warehouse. Mm-hmm. The best we did many, many years ago strategically, we knew we were going to expand globally. So I think we started 10 years ago, we started one true source for all our data. And, and the good thing about machine learning, you know, everyone hypes it up. It's no good if you haven't got loads and loads and years of data uh, and trends. So it's it's sometimes it's a hyped up uh, over overused phrase, I think. So in that sense, we're very very lucky. And and the idea is we're bringing everything in that data warehouse at CTM. That means we can run data, compare across customers, look at behavioural things. I mean, for example, you know we, we know that booking a day or two um, earlier on a one segment because we have the data can save sixty seventy dollars. How can we how can we then bring that and embed that back in the process for customers? Because that's something customers want to would love to know. And um, right. that's just one one example. Um, or you know, how can we really peer network and say, okay, you're in you're in the uh, legal space, for example. How can we benchmark? You know, again, keeping data private, of course, but to let someone know where you are compared to the pack in behavioural analytics and what you're doing with, with booking and so forth. I think it's incredibly valuable to customers um, because at the end of the day. What people underestimate it with corporate travel is often it's it's a really core part of infrastructure for a company, a large company to operate, whether that's winning business, seeing customers, uh, supply chains and so forth. So we, we want to be a little bit more embedded that way. You're optimistic about how, um, how robustly the uh, business travel market will resume once sort of this vaccines roll out. Um, Do you have a feeling of timing for the different regions around the world, for Europe, for North America? Are we looking at the second half of the year? I think that that's the feeling here now, that it's second half of the year. Do you differ in any way? No, I I think it's right. I think the key point is what I'd love to see from governments. I mean, the the real problem seems to be UK, Europe and the US, right, where, where hospitals are bursting at the seams. I think I think it's just logical, isn't it, that that once you vaccine the the highest risk group in a population, that's anywhere from ten to twenty percent, depending on the country. By definition, you you know, no one's going to hospitals, and then and then then the, the, the I guess the the uh, the impact of the virus being dangerous to someone's life tends to go away, it tends to fall away significantly. So what I'd love to see from governments, I'd love to see a lot a lot more commitment to a timetable of rolling out and giving a lot more transparency about. Okay, the diff, you know, every, every government's broken up into segments of population. I'd much rather see some accountability in terms of giving us some dates and timelines so that as, a, as an industry and as all industries, we can manage and, and plan around that. So, for example, you know, I'll, I'll give you a great example of Australia and New Zealand. It's incredible, but 45% of our business is domestic Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. People around the world underestimate is some of the most busiest routes on the whole planet. Now, to suddenly open those up tomorrow and double your business is um, is, is very challenging. Um, so, again, the same thing for opening borders. Yeah, that's what we'd, we'd say to all governments, you know, get some transparency going around that. 
How do they want to operate? Think about when do things open up? So if you have that high-risk population sorted, um, you know, what's the next stage to opening things up both domestically and internationally? Uh, and then, what do, you know, what do we want to do to make sure that people feel safe? Does that mean that internationally you have to be vaccinated to travel? There's all these questions that that um, that need to be answered and need to be led by governments and, and the bodies around the world consistently. And I noticed the other week, I think an announcement came out that you're um, wrapping in some COVID testing partners to your um, services as well. Is that correct? Yeah, what we're trying to do, we're, we're really active in both government lobbying in every region, but also supplier lobbying. I mean, very mm-hmm. clearly, we think we have a very strong role to play in what the best process should look like. And we want to make sure that whatever suppliers do, we can manage that seamlessly on our side. So again, a customer doesn't want friction. So we're, we're working with a number of different partners, IATA, you name it, rapid testing companies, everything we can get our hands on and, and local governments in each region to try to work out and just try to bring some common sense back into the, the narrative about what's needed. Because after all, what has always been lost is that, you know, corporate travel and GDP are highly correlated. Um, and, and customers are saying the same things. You know, we're asking all our customers around the world, what's the biggest roadblock or the impediment to not being able to travel? And it's consistent globally. You know, number one is I've got to, I've got to travel to grow. Uh, number two is supply chain issues. Yep. And number three is how do I get my employees on the same, you know, the same pathway, you know, the same strategic package? How do I incentivize them? Bringing people together again, just to talk strategy and get people on board. And, and, and that, it's, it's interesting. It's so consistent globally. So all of those things we're, we're trying, at the moment I'm spending easily a day a week lobbying uh, and, and as my executive team um, trying to get outcomes as best we can to get things moving. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you're active in, in uh, regions that have recovered, as you say, and you're based in a yeah. region that has recovered well. Tell me the difference between uh, that and the other parts of the world. I mean... Um, yeah, well, look where you are in New York, North America versus Australia. I mean, Australia... It's, it's nice to share with you because there's a lot of, you know, hearsay saying what will corporate travel be structurally affected forever yeah. and so forth. And I, I think for some customers, I'll look at how they travel. But I also think now that people will probably invest a lot more in bringing people together, particularly if they're working from home, that you will have to make an investment as well as winning business. I mean, we've been through pandemics before, particularly being Asia-based. Uh, and we've seen over and over the customers that don't double down on, on trying to win business, which is travel-related. Tend to, tend, to, tend to miss the boat. So what I, what I can say, which is very consistent with past pandemics, it's really nice to share with America because, you know, you, you, over there things look dark at the moment, is that the two things that, that are very clear that we've seen in Australia and New Zealand are very consistent with past pandemics. And those two issues are when there's no quarantine or impediment to travel and people feel safe, it bounces back very, very quickly. Uh, usually in three months, but we've seen faster than that because of pent-up demand. So, for example, in Australia and New Zealand, New Zealand since July, we've been running over 100% of last year. Uh, And that's considering that there's no international travel, clearly we're growing, um, but that that gives a lot of confidence that structural things like Zoom aren't going to affect or impact um, corporate travel in a material way. As for Australia, uh, we saw in December the borders open for a few weeks and we popped all the way back to 80% of last year. And, and when you take that, there's no international travel, that's essentially the same as last year. So that's, that's, a, that's a very bullish sign. Um, therefore, that when you overlay, particularly North America and Europe that are really struggling with corona, what we're really pleased to see and we expect is that the vaccine rollout, what it should do, 
Once they take care of the 15% or so of people that are high risk, which they should to protect the, the, those most vulnerable in the community, by definition, you shouldn't have any hotel admissions or anyone in ICU, and then things start to get back to normal. That's our expectation. Uh, for example, in this country, we heard no one in ICU anywhere, uh, and, uh, and it makes a big difference because it gives people the confidence that, that the medical system is no longer pressured and then things get back to normal. But vaccines clearly going to help with that. So we're very buoyed. Even the last two weeks of data in both UK and US and seeing new uh, new infections and hospital admissions materially drop is a really encouraging sign that we're going to watch closely. It is, and, and I've been watching that as well. Obviously, um, from my vantage point here in the US, it's a critical it's a critical uh, indicator that uh, we're on the right path, even though you know we're we're working down from a very high level. What are you most cautious about over the next six months? I think. It, it's really about about um, sustainability of business. I think, like like all of us, you know, to to have to reduce our businesses by so much with people was was a really difficult thing to do. And I've been through enough pandemics before to see the art to this is how you bring people back, and we want to bring our people back as well as as activity recovers. So we're very again we're very f- forward thinking. So because in New Zealand, Australia, we've had We've had the impact of that happen already. We're looking at a lot more data sets to see how can we measure things at SenseCheck with bringing people back right. Because what we've seen in the past is that customers give you a fair bit of goodwill when things are tough, but that goodwill evaporates very quickly when things come back and you can't answer the phone or they can't get answers. So right. working very, very hard since May last year, what do we have to do with our technology to make that more user-friendly for the COVID environment? Uh, and also making sure that we don't underdo that. So we've been beta testing that through Australia and New Zealand so we can roll it out in the rest of the world where it happens. That's the biggest risk because two things can happen. You can either you can either come back and make no profit or we're still you can underservice your customers. And 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 it, that's that's the hardest thing because you know people underestimate, you know, we, we've we've tenfold or twentyfolded our business in 10 years and we've just taken staff out of the business that's taken us back five years yet. You know, I'm looking at Australia, New Zealand, it could all bounce back. A five-year growth could bounce back in a week or two. That That is incredibly challenging in any business, in any in any market in the world. Forget travel. And it's what I'm most conscious of. Yeah. So let me ask you a quick question about that. So, you know, I think, you know, as, as I don't know, maybe it was like two years ago that, um, you know, these... Um, natural language platforms were all sort of coming to the fore and uh, we were all talking about, you know, the travel advisors losing their jobs or, um, you know, being significantly downsized. And, you know, you mentioned AI a little bit early in our conversation. And I wanted to ask, as you bring uh, travel advisors back and you bring staff back, um, what's the role of AI and new platforms and customer service in in this new world, because yeah. um, I think in order to maximize revenues and to recover more quickly, that might be a key piece. I, I think just to make it very clear, I think digitalization and, and we've got a big a big progress uh, project underway at the moment. It's about if, if you think about it now, it's about how consumer and corporate comes together and. The, the, I've got two comments to make. Firstly, it's about making our people more effective so that they, they can add more value. And the value is, look, we've seen this through the pandemic. I mean, we are moving so many people across borders uh, when borders are closed. And, and, and let me tell you, you can't do that through a call centre, you can't do that online. It takes enormous expertise. 
it takes it takes good relationship with suppliers to grab seats. You know, we're we're booking you know things like uh, you know we're doing massive projects in, resulting in charters and all these other things. And and what what it's taught me and reinforced to me is that that part of our value prop is very very important. So then you're using you're using uh, technology then to to do two things: make things that are mundane and more effective using technology than than people. And there's a lot of things like that. So for example. You know, the, the basic ones are, is my flight on time? Uh, I want to change my flight. Uh, I'm running late. Can I change a meeting? I want a copy of an invoice. Can I see my travel itinerary? They're things that these days, quite frankly, are much more effective using technology. Having said that, when I've got to go tomorrow, I've got to clear a wait list. You know, I've got to get a suite in a hotel for a meeting. Do you need people? Uh, and, and the idea of we see technology as using technology to make our people more effective to do those things that really matter in corporate travel. And I've seen this over and over and over. You can have the best tech or the best call centre. It, it just matters for nothing when you want to get the C-level of a customer. And quite frankly, if you don't get the C-level right, you're not going to win the entire customer. And that's been our experience and it's been a lot of our success. So, so we see technology, uh, it's really an enabler for our people to be more effective. And the AI is more the data sets and how we're looking at data to drive different behavioural things, as I've said before. We're, we're really looking now at bringing people from outside the industry, um, using data and cutting data in different ways to look at behavioural things that we've never looked at before, just to buy better, buy smarter, et cetera. How can I get more trips in that, that are cheaper and so forth? Right, very good. So if I'm reading between the lines, and I don't know if I am correctly, but uh, that you want to bring all your people back. You want to bring 100% back if you have 100% volume return. Well, I, th I think we'll be a little bit more efficient than that. I mean, as, as technologies come <laughs> through and so forth. But look, our goal is clearly, clearly, you know, we've, we've had to let people go. Um, we've got our alumni. As things come back, we're going to need people again. There is no doubt about it. Great. Uh, and we hope that a lot of the people that we had to let go can come back. But then that's, it, that's just how, it's, how it is, right? But yeah, but as you, you know, it's interesting because as you bring new people back, if you bring uh, pre-existing uh, employees back or you bring new people back, it is a time that you have to maybe teach them more about digitalization and, and how to service the customer in this new world and all the different complexities and information that they're going to have to have access to in order to serve um, this customers in this new reality. So I think that's a, that's a big lift. It's a heavy lift. Yeah, I think I think though the the idea is to present information to them easily. That that's 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 the job of the of the company. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I think you, you did touch on a point. We we see now with technology, uh, as we as we as we're you know building back up, there'll be also a different type of person we employ in the business, mm -hmm. uh, more younger technology focused, those sort of things. But I cannot underestimate the value of great travel agents or, or great travel consultants. It, it is it is really important. I mean, we see it over and over. Uh, you'd be surprised at how much international travel we're doing with borders closing uh, for our customers, particularly our central travel customers, and 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 also they, they they just need us. You cannot do it yourself, you know. From the rules can change daily and so forth. And so it's all about getting a balance. Um, for example, you know, domestic going point to point, you know, that should always be online these days. Um, some of the behavioural stuff, you know, it's still there, but we want to talk customers through it. So I think. The, the things that, that are very successful in terms of account management, sales, our travel consultants, the customer facing, always going to be there in spades for us. Hey, everyone. I want to thank CTN's Jamie Ferris for helping BTN kick off our new podcast series, The Biz at BTN. 
We'll follow this up with a bunch more thoughts from business travel experts, including buyers. So stay tuned for that. And you can always visit our website at businesstravelnews.com to get the latest podcast episodes, or you can subscribe to them wherever you access your podcast content. So until the next time, it's Elizabeth West at BTN. Thanks so much for listening.